0: Good morning everybody, welcome to you. My name is Tim Harris, I'm pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. All of you in the cafe worship service this morning, we love you so much. God bless you. Love what God is doing uh, with you folks in your worship service. All my friends in Perry, Oklahoma, we love you too. God bless you. Pastor Brian Ahern, Tina at Church on the Square, uh, we love you. Turns out I have a brand new friend in Oklahoma this week. A 17-year-old young man in Wagner, Oklahoma stole my identity, according to the Sheriff's Department in Wagner. So uh, a shout-out to my new friend in Wagner, Oklahoma. (laughs) Just one more of my treasured connections to the great state of Oklahoma. So God bless all of you there. Open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah, of course, is a prophet. Isaiah writes uh, many, many sermons, many poems, many songs that you'll find in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, but in this great book are a few songs that are called the servant songs, and they're very interesting because they talk about a servant, a, a person obedient to the Lord who suffers greatly. Isaiah writes several songs about this suffering servant, but he never comes right out and says who it is. And so one of the great mysteries of the book of Isaiah for many people is is the simple question of who is the suffering servant? Who's the prophet Isaiah talking about, and uh, and how can we possibly know? It's still actually a debate today. You'll find scholars who debate it, but but for me it's no debate. Uh, Simple rule for me, I like to let Scripture interpret Scripture. You understand? Just let Scripture interpret Scripture. And, and in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, there's a story about an Ethiopian man who's riding along, and he's reading, of all things, the prophet Isaiah. He's reading from his Old Testament, and he's reading one of these servant songs. Remember the story? And at that point, the apostle Philip comes up alongside of him and begins to have a conversation. He asks him. He notices he's reading Scripture, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And the man says, no, how can I understand it? And his question is, who's the prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? So in the book of Acts, that question comes up, who's the prophet Isaiah talking about in these songs, the suffering servant, who is the suffering servant? And at that point in the book of Acts, Philip explains to the Ethiopian man that these songs are about Jesus. So the suffering servant way back in the book of Isaiah is Jesus Now, you've just got to understand this. It's this one of the wonderful, wonderful uh, mysteries and miracles of Scripture. Isaiah is talking about Jesus something like 600, 700 years before Jesus will come. You understand that? Isaiah is talking about Jesus. This is what makes him a prophet. He's talking about Jesus six or seven centuries before Jesus ever comes along. So let's look at one of these servant songs in Isaiah chapter 50 beginning with verse 4. Isaiah is talking about Jesus long before Jesus comes. Listen uh, to his prophecy. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. The sovereign Lord has given me his words of wisdom so that I may know how to, say the words, comfort the weary. All right, that's his mission. Morning by morning he wakens me and opens my understanding to his will. The sovereign Lord has spoken to me and I have listened I have not rebelled or turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mockery and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a stone, determined to do his will. And I know that I will not be put to shame. He who gives me justice is near. Who will dare to bring charges against me now? Where are my accusers? Let them appear. See, the sovereign Lord is on my side. Who will declare me guilty? All my enemies will be destroyed like old clothes that have been eaten by moths. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys his servant? If you are walking in darkness without a ray of light, trust in the Lord and rely on your God. But watch out, you who live in your own light and warm yourselves by your own fires. This is the reward you will receive from me. You will soon fall down in great torment. Some years ago, there was a plastic surgeon named Maxwell Maltz. Dr. Maxwell Maltz really was one of the great pioneers of modern plastic surgery. He he really was a a great doctor. Tells a story of a woman who came into his office one day, and she said, Dr. Maltz, uh, I I desperately need your help. And so he immediately began looking at her face to figure out what needed, injecting, plucked, pulled, stretched, whatever they do. Um, But she said, no, Dr. Maul it's not for me, it's it's for my husband. I need you to help my husband. (laughs) Some of you women right now are thinking, I I need somebody to help my husband. She said, "I, I need you to help my husband. She said, my husband got this feeling one afternoon that he needed to go visit his parents, so he drove to their house. When he got to their house, he saw smoke. The house was on fire, and nobody was there to help. And so he rushed into the house to rescue his parents. Long story short, he failed to rescue them. His mother and his father both died in that burning house. And this man himself was badly burned trying to rescue them. His face was badly scarred and disfigured. The woman told the doctor this story and, and said, now my husband stays in his room with the door closed. He never comes out. He doesn't let anybody see him, not even me. I haven't laid eyes on my husband in months. The doctor said, well, I don't know exactly what I can do to help him. And the woman said, well, there's not much you can do to help him. He won't let anybody help him. He will not come out. He will not speak. He feels like God is punishing him with that face because he failed to help his parents. He feels like God wants him to live with this kind of pain and disfigurement. So Dr. Maltz said, well, ma'am, it sounds like there's nothing I can do. I don't think I can help your husband. And then the woman said this. She said, Dr. Maltz, I know that there's nothing you can do for my husband, but I want you to operate on me. Dr. Maltz said, ma'am, what can I do for you? She said, I I want you to ruin my face. I want you to scar my face. I want to be disfigured like him. Dr. Moss said, why would you ask for such a thing? And she said, if I share his pain, maybe he'll let me back in his life. amazing? Total love, total determination to win her husband back. She would have had her own face disfigured. It's the kind of mission that reminds me of the suffering servant in Isaiah. It's really the wonder of what Isaiah prophesies. And remember, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. This is one of those mysteries, especially for the Jews who thought of their Messiah, who thought of of God's coming to them one day to rescue them. They expected a warrior. They expected someone of power. They expected someone who could come and and conquer, someone who could come and and, and once and for all vanquish all enemies. They never would have expected what Isaiah prophesies, and that is that God will come to them, but God is going to come to them as one who suffers, a, a sufferer. It's very difficult to understand how someone who themselves is suffering could possibly help those who suffer, but this is exactly the mission, this is exactly the purpose of the suffering servant. Turn turn forward uh, to Isaiah 53, it's just turning one page in most of your Bibles. Isaiah chapter 53 is another one of these servant songs. And, and, And listen, we're talking about Jesus long before Jesus comes. Isaiah 53, let's start with verse 5. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for, say the words, our sins, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him, what? What? the sins of us all. The Lord laid on him the sins of us us all. It's this amazing prophecy, this amazing revelation of what God is gonna do to save us. God is going to come. God himself will come in, in the form of Jesus. And he will take upon himself all of our pain, all of our sin, all of our suffering, all of our disfigurement. He himself will have upon his back laid the sins of all of us. He will be a sufferer, a suffering servant, fully obedient to God, fully determined to do God's will. Now just to make it full circle, turn back in the New Testament to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Matt Betts has been preaching this chapter to me all week. John chapter 6. Look at what Jesus says. John chapter 6, verse 38. It's the kind of thing Jesus will say over and over and over. John chapter 6, verse 38. I have come down from heaven to do what? To do the will of God who sent me. I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. He has a mission, he has a purpose, it is God's purpose. And this is the will of God. This is that purpose, you ready? That I should not lose even one of all those whom he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. So what is Jesus' purpose? What is the mission of the suffering servant? His mission is about people. It's it's about people, the people, the world that God loves. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, right? So Jesus' mission, Jesus' purpose is about people. It's about you and me. And Jesus' sole purpose is to make sure that not one of those people, not one person that God loves, not a single one of us would ever be lost. That's his purpose, so, six, 700 years before Jesus comes, Isaiah prophesies that this is what Jesus will do. And then when Jesus comes, he says the very same thing I have come down from heaven to do the will of my Father. And the will of my Father is this that I should not lose a single person, not a single one of those that the Father gives me will be lost. I will raise him up at the last day. That's his purpose. That, that, that's his purpose. Now, I love what Isaiah says, flip back, keep you going, flip back in your Bibles to verse seven in Isaiah chapter 50. It's this particular phrase that grabbed me sometime months ago, and honestly, I don't know exactly why it seems so important, so serious to me, but verse seven, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced, therefore I have set my face like stone. I, I've set my face like flint, the King James says, flint being the hardest stone there is. I've, I've hardened my face like stone to do his will. What does that mean? I, I have set my face. I've, I've hardened my face like a stone. It sort of reminds me of what the Gospel of Luke says about Jesus on that week before he died, on that Sunday before he died, Palm Sunday, the scripture says that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And the big question is, why would he do that? He knows. The people don't necessarily know. But, but Jesus knows that this will be his last trip into town. Jesus knows that he will die. Why would he drive full speed straight into the town where he knows he will meet his death? Why would he do that? The Gospel of Luke says he sets his face toward Jerusalem. Same language. He sets his face toward Jerusalem. What what, what does this mean? What is this saying? It's about determination. It it, it suggests that idea that he will not flinch, his his face is set, his face is hardened, and now nothing will change his mind. It's been a long, long cold winter in Kentucky, and and I'm a runner. I've, I've I've got a big running goal this year, and I've been trying to keep my miles going. And it's been so cold, and and there have been mornings, eight below zero, ten below zero, when I've gone out and and, and ran. I'm not trying to make myself sound tough. It is not, I I don't look tough, I I, I promise you. Um, But one of the things, for some reason around here, the wind always blows in my face. If I go out and back, it'll blow in my face out, and it'll blow in my face back. And on those cold, cold mornings, my face will get so cold. But there's nothing I can do. I've already decided that I'm going to run. I'm already out there. You understand? And and being out there, the wind's not going to stop blowing because I'm running, and it's not going to warm up because I'm out there. All that I must do is endure. Endure. And so there is this moment, this way that I simply have to just stare into it. I just have to run. I have to put my face into the wind and just let the wind blow. You understand? I have to just put my face in that direction, knowing that it's going to be cold, knowing that it's going to get wet, knowing that I'm going to freeze, but knowing that if I'm going to do this, that this is part of it. I just have to set my face in the direction I'm going, and I just have to run. You understand? It's an idea of just hardening your face, knowing that you're going to face opposition, knowing that it's going to be difficult, but knowing that you've already made up your mind that you're going to do what you've got to do. So the scripture says the suffering servant, he's going to be like this. He's going to set his face like stone, determined to do God's will. And this is what Jesus did for you. He set his face like stone. He rides into Jerusalem knowing that he will die, but knowing that if that's what it takes, that's what he will do. And he's doing that for you. Uh, Of all things, what we're saying, this story that we're telling about Jesus has everything to do with you. It's, It's about you. He knew you, he could see you. You were a part of this, you were his purpose when he sets his face and rides straight toward the cross, he's doing that determined to save you. It's about you. So understanding that, let me tell you four things that I want you to know about this scripture, four things I want you to know about Christ. And the first one is this. Christ will give you freedom to refuse him. Christ will give you freedom to refuse him. Don't. Don't. Look at Isaiah chapter 50. It's actually rather amazing scripture. Look at verse 6. I offered my back to those who beat me, I offered my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mockery and spitting. Now, now who's mocking him? Who's spitting on him? Who would pull out his beard? Who would beat him? Who would rebel and turn away from him? Well, this is the tragedy of the story. The very people he came to save. The very ones that he has come determined to rescue. These are the ones that rebel and turn away and beat him and mock him and spit in his face. I mean, read the story. You're living the story. Those very people that Jesus loves so much to come and die for, these are the ones who refuse him. And the amazing thing is that God in all of his power, Jesus in all of his glory, he surrenders to that. He submits to that. He shouldn't have to do that, but this is what it takes to save you. He has to give you the choice. He cannot do for you what you will not allow him to do for you. And therefore, all he can do is come to you and make the offer. And why in the world some people would refuse him is beyond me. I don't understand this. I don't understand why some people would refuse him with violence. But it's what the prophet prophesies. And it's exactly what happened. You know the story of the crucifixion. They mock him. They beat him. They pull out his beard. And he offers his back. He offers his cheeks. He offers his face because he is already determined to offer his life. Do you understand? And he gives people, he gives people the power to refuse him. And some refuse him violently. Now, I I know those of you in the sound of my voice, you're not refusing him violently. You refuse him politely. Or, or, Or you refuse him just more in a sense of you just don't think about it. You you hear the preaching, you you hear the message of Christ, you you listen to the message of Easter even. You know Christians in your life, your grandma was a Christian, and you, you sort of heard that all of your life. And it's not that you're ugly about it, you're actually very, very kind and polite and patient with the Jesus people. But honestly, just the same, you're refusing him. You're refusing him. And what the scripture shows is that Jesus is perfectly willing to live with the consequences of your refusal He'll offer his back, he'll offer his cheeks, he'll offer his face, he'll offer his life. And if you refuse him, you refuse him, and he will live with those consequences. But so will you. You understand? So will you. Notice at the beginning of this song, the scripture says, The sovereign Lord has given me his words of wisdom so that I may know how to what? comfort the weary he comes to bring comfort he comes to bring salvation he comes to show you his love but notice at the end of the song watch out you who live in your own light watch out those who warm yourselves by your own fires this is the reward you will see for me and is it comfort no if you refuse him you cannot receive his comfort If you refuse him, you cannot receive his salvation. That's your choice. He gives you that freedom to refuse. But understand, he can live with those consequences, and so will you. And the option is sort of comfort and salvation or judgment, torment. Do you understand? And you make that choice. It'll never be that God sends somebody to hell. It'll never be that Jesus decides who gets tormented. Do you understand that? That is the choice that Jesus gives you. You have the power to refuse him. And you will live with the consequences. So don't refuse him. Don't refuse him. If you choose to follow him, you will share his victory. It's amazing that Isaiah, even all of these years ahead of Jesus, can prophesy not just that he will suffer, not just that he'll have enemies that will come against him, but he will have victory. And when you follow this Jesus, when you accept his offer of life and comfort and salvation, you will share his victory. But, but, but make no mistake, you will also share his suffering. Jesus says, if anybody wants to be my disciple, they must take up their cross and and, and follow me. It it is a way of suffering for you as well. You will not get off any easier than he has. Suffering is a part of it for all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. It it just is. So learn a lesson from the suffering servant. Learn a lesson from Christ. And, and, And let me say this to you. In following Christ... You will often be tempted to harden your heart against people. Don't. Don't harden your heart towards people. Notice that the servant has a hard face, that sounds strange, but he hardens his face. I set my face like stone, he says, determined to do God's will. And God's will is to rescue people. God's will for him is to show comfort to people. God's will for him is to make sure that not a single one is lost who wants to be found. You understand that? God's will for him is all about people. And when you begin to follow Christ, when you begin to live for him, your life will be lived for others as well. Jesus first, but then your life is going to be lived for others. So that is exactly why your Christian life is sort of cut off at the nerve, at the very place where you begin to have a hard heart toward people. You can't do that. You can't allow yourself to begin to, to become hard, to begin to, to, to refuse or ignore or, or close your heart to the feelings of those around you. You cannot let that happen. Now, it's difficult because people are difficult. If you don't believe me, just look down your row. People are, are difficult. People are ungrateful. People are moody. People are greedy. People are, are selfish. People will take everything that you'll give them and then offer you nothing in return, not even a thank you. That's just how people are and that's how people were toward Jesus. They mocked him. They they, they spit a- upon him. They pulled out his beard, the scripture says, and yet he did not harden his heart toward them. He continued to love them. He was determined to love them. He had set his face already in the direction of love and mercy and nothing would turn him away from from that as God's people as Christ's followers we have to recognize the way that it's not so much our face that we harden it's our heart that we harden we simply lost that ability to care about people we've lost that ability to want to step down into their brokenness the way Jesus does to step down into their sin the way Jesus does for the purpose of rescuing You're often going to be tempted to harden your heart toward people. Don't. Don't. And you will have many opportunities to turn away. Don't. Don't. It comes back to what it says about the servant who who has set his face like stone. It's this kind of determination that that honestly many of us lack when it comes to serving Christ when it comes to following Christ many of us are, are are very 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 weak in our commitment it doesn't take very much to discourage us rain on sunday will just about kill it you understand because the level of our commitment doesn't go much further than simply attending church we're not talking about simply attending church We're talking about allowing the story of Jesus to completely change the story of your life and the way you live your life. It's not just your your Sunday, your weekend life. We're talking about your life life. And it is to be a life of commitment, a life of determination to follow after Christ. And there should be nothing, nothing, nothing that would cause you to turn away. The suffering servant offers his back and his cheeks and his face for mockery and spitting and beating because he's already determined to give up his life. And the same should be true of you. Already you should have determined that you will give your life for Christ. So therefore, having determined that, there should be nothing that would cause you to turn back on your commitment. And yet so many of us have turned back on our commitment. Last Sunday night, we were reading together the story of the raising of Lazarus. And at the beginning of that story, Jesus is with his disciples. And they are some distance from the town of Bethany where Lazarus is sick and where Lazarus is dying and where the sisters have asked Jesus to come and help their brother. But Jesus doesn't go at first. If you know the story, it's amazing. Jesus is talking with the disciples about the fact that Lazarus is sick and in Bethany and that they should perhaps go to him. And you'll notice all the disciples say, listen, Jesus, they're going to kill you there. You can't possibly want to go back in that direction. People want to kill you there. Understand? But notice, of all the disciples, it's Thomas. Thomas, who sometimes called what? The doubting. Yeah, doubting Thomas. It's doubting Thomas, and honestly, he is not a positive dude. He's still kind of doubtful. He really, he's a guy that it's not just that the glass is half empty. The glass is, is half empty and spilled and turned over and crashed. I mean, it's, it's all bad. Thomas sees it bad, and he sees this bad. When Jesus is talking about going back and, and facing the people who would kill him, what does Thomas say? Well, let's go with him. If Jesus is going to go, let's just go with him and do What? Let's just go die with him. I kind of like Thomas. Just go die with him. In other words, if I live or die, I'm going to be with Jesus. Live or die, I'm going to be with Jesus. and Call him doubtful if you want. That's the kind of commitment that you need. Live or die, I'm going to be with Jesus. I've set my face toward Jesus. I I will not turn back. You will have many opportunities to turn back, to turn away. Don't. Don't. I love when the servant says in verse 9 that the sovereign Lord is on my side. The sovereign Lord is on my side. In your spiritual life, you will often wonder if God is on your side. He is. You understand? He is on your side but let's talk about that but before you become somehow comforted in a false way with with that assurance let me make something clear to you when the servant says the lord is on my side you have to read that entire song there read everything that the servant says and you'll notice that the servant lives this this life of intimacy with the father The sovereign Lord gives me his words. Morning by morning, he wakens me and opens my understanding to do his will. The sovereign Lord has spoken to me and I have listened. I have not rebelled or turned away. Do you understand? Before he can say that the sovereign Lord is on my side, he says over and over, he he speaks to me. Morning by morning, he wakes me up. He opens my understanding so that I can do his will. And I I never rebel. I, I never turn away. So let's get some things straight. Before he can have that confidence that God is fighting for him, before he has that confidence that God is on his side, it's very, very clear that the servant has put himself on God's side. It's not so much a question, is God going to be on your side? The question is, are you going to be on God's side? He will fight for you, but you must make sure that in your life you're not fighting against him. Because if you're fighting against him, then understand, he can't fight for you. He cannot be on your side if you set yourself up as his enemy, if you will not listen, if you will not allow him to open your understanding to do his will, if you have no interest in doing his will, then God cannot be on your side. Sovereign Lord is on my side, the servant says, because he is the Lord's servant. Serve him. And you will find that God is always there fighting for you. Don't fight against him. Don't refuse him. So the lady said, Dr. Maltz, I want you to ruin my face. I just want you to disfigure me. Doctor said, why would you ask such a thing? And she said, I just feel like... If I could share his pain, if I could look like him, then he would let me back in his life. So the doctor got permission to go speak to her husband, made a house call. He went to the room where the man had been closed in for so long, and he knocked on the door. He knocked on the door, and there was no answer, no response. He knocked again. He said, Sir, I'm Dr. Maxwell Maltz. I'm a plastic surgeon. I've talked to your wife, and I'm here to help you. Sir, let me help you. No response. No sound. He knocked again. He said, Sir, I've spoken with your wife. I'm a plastic surgeon. I know how to help you. I know how to fix your face. Silence. No response. So finally, Dr. Amal said, sir, let me tell you something. I've spoken with your wife. Your wife has made a request of me. She's asking me to take my scalpel and scar her face. She's asking me to take my instruments and disfigure her. She wants to look like you in hopes that you will love her and allow her back into your life. She loves you like that. Her commitment to you is total." Will you let me help you? Silence for a long time. And then slowly, Dr. Maltz looked down and the doorknob turned. What I'm telling you is that Jesus came down from heaven and he took your ugliness, your sin on himself, your pain, your guilt, your mistakes, your shame. He had none of this of his own. In glory, in heaven, in all eternity, he's perfect, he's beautiful, he's holy. He came down for you. He did this For you, he set his face toward the cross because that's what it would take to save you. He gives you the power, however, to refuse him. Don't. Don't. Pray with me. It's a strange kind of identity theft. It's a strange kind of identity exchange where the holy God would come down and take sin upon himself my sin, our sin. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have strayed away from God. And yet, Lord God, you laid upon him the sins of all of us. It is hard to fathom love like that. It is hard to imagine anyone who loves us like that. But Lord Jesus, today I pray that you would call out to us in your love and your mercy. Lord, there are those in the sound of my voice who continue to refuse you, who will not accept your offer of forgiveness, who will not accept this exchange of sin for righteousness, who will simply not allow you, Lord God, to come and share their lives. Jesus, today, pray that the word of the gospel will be heard. I pray that the offer of Jesus for salvation will be received. I pray that not a single heart will refuse these things we pray in the name of Jesus.